Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it was the, uh, the fall of 2007. I, I was given a, a chance out of the blue. Uh, it's a longer story. But uh, to become uh, the Bible teacher uh, at a Christian high school. Um, I, I was pastoring a little church at the time, uh, just kind of as a part-time deal, and I had a different job. And, and so this would become my full-time job. I was, would be a Bible teacher during the day, and then uh, a pastor of a church in the weekends, and um, so the, the job as it was, was uh, I, I was a full-time teacher. So I had seven, usually eight uh, classes a day, right? And my job was to teach 10th graders, 11th graders, and 12th graders uh, Bible. That was what I did. All day, eight hours a day, I was teaching the Bible. It was awesome. Uh, and, and they didn't really have a curriculum, so they went, hey, you, you just do what you want to do. So I, I was able to kind of develop my own curriculum, um, and, and, and teach the things that I thought, you know, this is what students really uh, need to know before they graduate, right? Before they enter the real world. Um, so each student had me for, you know, about an hour a day, five days a week. 180 school days a year. So, I, you know, I did the math, right? If, if a student had me for three years, because I had sophomores, juniors, and seniors, uh, including lection, uh, lectures, chapel sermons retreats, you know, class trips that I was sponsors on and all that kind of stuff, right? Bus rides on, you know, athletic events. I would have the ability to teach them for over 600 hours before they graduated, right? 600 hours of Bible teaching and interaction with, with a Bible teacher. That's what they've got, right? And if you think about it, most adults get, you know, we'll just say an hour a week of Christian education. So, you know, we're talking about 12 years of weekly sermons. I could, I could, you know, pour into these kids for three years, and I thought, man, I'm going to be, you know, producing geniuses by the time I'm done with this thing. Like, this is the perfect, perfect setup. So I was a little bit naive when I started. Um, I assumed that these high school kids would want to study the Bible every day, right? Like, what a treat. What, a, what an opportunity, right? In the middle of your high school day, right after calculus, you would come and study Bible with me. Like, what a perfect thing. Little did I know. Now, some of these kids took, took this training, this, this incredible opportunity, took this training, and, and some of them are, you know, serving in missions overseas, or they're in seminary, or, you know, there's a couple of pastors that, that have come out of that deal in different ministries. But, you know, a, a bunch of these kids, I taught for eight years. Um, some of these kids, you would think, wow, they've, they've, they've never learned a thing from the Bible, Right? They had these 600 hours of Bible training, and they walk away like they knew absolutely nothing. 
And, and this experience taught me something extremely valuable. And that is, there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can get 600 hours of Bible training and it not do you a lick of good. I heard this quote the other day and it, it made me laugh. Uh, I think I've got it up here on the screen maybe. Um, it says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. This one's my favorite. Philosophy is wondering if that means ketchup is a smoothie. Um, <laughs> there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. This morning, uh, James is going to tell us not only to pursue wisdom, but how to pursue it. So our question for this morning is, how do we become wise? Let's pray as we pursue that question. Father, would you use this time for your glory? Would you help us to not only hear your word, God, but to internalize it, that it would become part of us through your Holy Spirit? Would you use this time to train us, to mature us? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in James chapter 1, and this morning we read verses 5 through 11. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, in the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with, with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Well, last week we began a new series uh, in James, and we were calling it Back to the Basics. Uh, because most of us are familiar with James, uh, but as James would probably tell us if he were here, we forget the basics from time to time, and we need to be reminded of it. We need to remember and so last week, Jordan uh, started us off, and he walked us through the very beginning of the book, and, um, and, and James has this radical idea, right, that we're supposed to consider it joy when we face different types of trials. And, and we said that that's not because we're crazy. It's not because we enjoy pain, right? We, we don't consider them joy in, in, in a twisted mind, but because we know what's coming as a result. <clears throat> because the product of trials is perseverance, which leads to the ultimate goal of becoming mature in our faith. See, God's goal uh, is for us to become mature in our faith, mature believers like Jesus. His goal is not for us to be happy. His goal for us is not to be successful, but to be mature in our faith like Jesus. 
And so this morning, James is going to continue the idea. We're, we're simply piggybacking on last week's message. So everything you learned last week, remember, because you're going to need it for, for right now. Um, but he's going to take this idea of last week, of, of, of using trials to mature us, um, and he's going to take that a little bit further. So big picture, right? We're still talking about trials growing into maturity. And, and, and so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you the big idea. I'm going to give you the big thing right now, and then we're going to unpack it. Okay, are you ready? This is the big thing. God's maturing of our faith includes growing in wisdom and testing us in our priorities. Okay, God's maturing of our faith includes growing in wisdom and testing us about our priorities. So the first idea I just told you is that uh, God intends for us to grow in wisdom. Notice that he says if any of you lacks wisdom, and, and that's because it's a direct link to what we said last week, right? Where he says he wants us to be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Well, speaking of lacking, right, he's going to just segue into what is it that we lack? James is going to jump into our faith development and this concept of, of growing in wisdom. He says that wisdom is essential for us to be more like Jesus. Wisdom is essential. What is wisdom? Well, the, the passage we just heard is, is a good in, in, encompassing kind of passage. Of what does it look like to, to grow in wisdom? Right? Uh, in the Bible, it's described in many ways. But, but it, it tends to be representative of, uh, of the skill of living a godly life, right? It's the skill of, 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 of living in a godly way. It's not head knowledge, right? We just talked about that. You can have all the Bible knowledge in the world and it not lead to anything. It not lead to wisdom. It's the ability to pl- apply knowledge to living the, the life that God wants you to live. That's what we're talking about. We talk about wisdom. It's taking this stuff and learning how to live it out the way God would want us to. That's wisdom. He will say in chapter 3, uh, we'll see this in a few weeks, he says, who is wise among you? Let him show it by their good life. Right? Let him, you say you're wise? Let me see it. I want to see it. And so, it's, it's putting this all into action, right? It, it is the total package, right? Wisdom is this encompassing total package of the way we're supposed to live. And James says, look, if you're, if you're missing that in your faith, if you're missing it, you need to ask God for it. He says, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, now that's a profound statement. The, the Greek literally says, ask the giving God. Right? He gives them a nickname. He calls them the giving God. I like that one. Right? You, you need some help in wisdom? Ask the giving God who, will, who loves to give it to you, and he'll do it without reproach. And this idea is that God is generous, and he wants us to have it. He wants to give it to us. You know, I, 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 if you're like me, I think we can sometimes fall into this trap that, of thinking of, you know, God, God is kind of far off at times. He's, he, he can be unapproachable. He, he can be apathetic to our needs. Right? He's, he's over there. He's too busy f- for my little old life. 
But James makes it clear here that, that God is a giving, generous God. And he's, he's not grumpy, he's not miserly about giving it to us. He wants us to have it. If you ask him for wisdom, he will give it. That's what James says. But there's a catch. And let's, let's see it in verses 6 through 8. Right? He says, so if you, if you need faith, ask God, he'll give it to you. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double, double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What's the catch? Right? He'll freely give it to you. What's the catch? You have to really want it. You have to really, really want it. Maybe some of you have, uh, have coached or, or, or taught, you know, maybe done piano lessons or, or something right? And you know exactly what's a, what I'm about to say, right? You have this student, this athlete who comes to you and says, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I really want to get better at whatever it is. And because you're a coach or a teacher or, you know, helping, giving lessons, whatever it is, right? You're there for them. And you say, man, I'm, thanks for coming to me for help. I'm absolutely glad to help you. I'm, I'm happy to help. That's what I'm here to do. Why don't you meet me before school, Right? Why don't you meet me here at 6.30, and we'll work on that, right? Or or why don't you stay late after school, and and we'll work on that. I'll I'll help you get that figured out. What's going to happen? You're going to find out really quickly if they really want help or not, won't you? You really want to get into better shape and get faster? Sure, I'll see you at 6 a.m., and we'll run some sprints. I'm happy to help. I'm here. I will give it to you. But you have to really want it, right? That's what James is saying in this moment, right? It's, the way I used to think about it was, was it's like, oh, you can't doubt that God is able to do it. That's not what James is asking, right? The question is not if God is able or not to give us wisdom. That is not the question of this passage. The question is, are we really wanting it with all that it entails? And, and it's the same with, you know, running. It's the same with lifting weights, right? And, 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 and you and I have all kind of gone through this inner battle, right, where we say, man, I'd, I'd really like to be in good shape, but my couch is really comfortable, right? I really would like to be in good shape, but have you guys had cheese curds before? We, have, we don't have those in Texas. That's a new thing up here. Right? Have you guys had those? That's pretty good. Right? There's an inner battle. Do I really want to get in shape or do I like cheese curds more? James calls this being double-minded. Right? Because you would say, we would say, that's insanity. Right? You can't be a competitive eater and be a marathon runner. They don't go together. Right? You, you can't do it. What do you really want? Right? What do you want? Do you really want wisdom? Do you want to be more like Christ? Because if you do, God will help you. Right? He's generous. He's more than happy to give that to you. But if you don't really want it, if you don't really want what that entails, he says, don't ask for it. Don't pray like you want wisdom from me. 
if you're going to go away and not, not live like that, right? I'm happy to give it to you, but there's a cost to it. Okay, so now we're, we're moving into verse 9, and I, and I just need to remind you that James is still in the same thought. He's still talking about trials, using trials to grow us, right? Going through tests for wisdom and maturity's sake. And, and so we're going to see that. We're still here as we go into verse 9. And so I'll start with the, the question, are, are you rich? And, and what does it mean to be rich? Practically speaking, how much money do you think you need to be rich? You don't have to answer out loud. How much money do you think you have to, you have, to have to be rich? Well, you know, we all used to say, like, if I had a million dollars, right? But not anymore. According to a study from Charles Schwab, uh, Schwab says uh, that $2.4 million is what you need to be considered rich, okay? If you've got $2.4 million, you are now in the rich category. But here's the thing, right? When I ask you the question, are you rich? No matter how much money you have, and I don't know that, but no matter how much you have, the, the money is on you said no. In your mind, you thought, nah. Not, I'm not a rich person. It's, it's really interesting. There's a, a, a study out that um, they surveyed um, people who had money, okay, who were in this rich category. And only 28% of people who have between a million and five million dollars characterize themselves and say, yes, I'm rich. Only 50% of people who have more than five million dollars say that they are rich. Isn't this interesting, right? And, and researchers have found that we all kind of answer on a rolling scale, right? So if somebody asked me what I thought was rich, I would probably go, just human nature, I'd go, up, ah, whatever double I have, that's what a rich person is, right? And whatever it is you have, you would probably go, yeah, whatever twice that amount is, that's, that's a person who's rich. That's what our human nature is. I don't know why it is, that's just what it is. We always think it's somebody else. It's not me, it's, it's whoever has that much over there. Okay, so if you really like details, I'll go a little bit further, okay? To, to be in the top 5% of wealth in the United States, okay? Top 5%, you need to have $1.8 million, okay? If you've got $1.8 million, you're in the top 5% of wealth in the United States. If you want to be in the top 1%, you need $6.8 million, okay? Top 1%, 6.8. So, again, I'm new here. I don't know that much about any of you. So we're all on a, 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 an even ground here. I don't know. But I would imagine most of you are saying, yep, not rich, not even close. Okay? Not even, yeah, phew, not even close. But we're not done. Right? If I ask the question, what does it mean to be rich? And we stuck with the 1% thing. Right? We can ask the question, what does it mean to be in the top 1% richest in the world. To be the elite 1% of the 7 billion people on this planet, what do you need? A household and annual income of $32,000. If you have a household income of $32,000, you are elite in the world and the top 1% of wealth on the planet. The top one-third of one percent, right? So now we're getting truly elite. Annual income of $50,000 for your household. 
right? So if your household makes $50,000 or more in a year, you're in the top one-third of 1% of the planet, okay? We're talking about elite now. And, and according to these standards, right, if you have a car, if you have indoor plumbing, if you have a computer, if you've ever gone on a vacation, if you have access to medical help when you need it, you are lavishly rich. You are lavishly rich. And you may be thinking, why am I telling you all this? Because I want to give you some perspective, right? As we go through to the rest of this passage, you and I need to have our proper glasses on, our perspective of what James is talking about and who he's talking to. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Does anybody in here feel uncomfortable? Yeah, me too, right? And my tendency when I read a passage like this, when I read James and I think about the rich person, right, it's someone very different than me. They don't look anything like me right? It's some arrogant bad guy, you know, smoking Cuban cigars on a yacht, right? That's the one that comes to me in my mind. That's the rich guy, right? But let me just say to myself and say to you all, more than likely, you cannot consider yourself the poor person in this story. You just can't. So James is stepping on all of our toes. It's not me. Don't get mad at me, right? This is James, this is what James is saying. And, and we have to remember, we're still dealing with tests and trials in the maturing of our faith. And what James is going to say here to us is that money is a test. It's a trial. Maybe we haven't thought about it that way, but money is a trial. And, and, and I'll just say something to you that everyone outside of this building thinks is crazy. And that is, being rich is a trial, just like being poor is. Being rich is a trial. And since by this world's standards, everyone in this room is rich, I don't have to spend a whole lot of time dealing with verse 9, because I don't have to talk to the lowly very much in this room, right? We can just kind of move, move on. But, right, verse 9 tells us that the, the believer in poor and humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. What's their high position? Well, th th they may be of little renown, of little faith in this world, but they are famous in God's kingdom. That's what they can boast in. That's what they can be proud of. That's what they can be excited about. Right? They are sons and daughters of God, heirs of the king. And their hope is not in this world, but in the next. So a few years ago, um, I, I was able, able to go to Kenya on a pastor training, right? So they sent, they sent some pastors to go, you know, like help teach. These guys don't get to go to seminary in Kenya. So like, why don't you go down and teach them some stuff to kind of help them? So I got to go be a part of a trip uh, a few years ago and, and, and do that, and it was awesome. And, and, and I got to meet some amazing, wonderful people and, and make some friends there. And, and, and when I tell you that my friends were poor— you just need to understand it's a different kind of poor than we can, than we can understand. I think maybe I've got a, a couple of pictures uh, up here. Um, this was a brand new church 
that a church in America had built for, uh, for this. And it's actually got cement and blocks, and it's got a roof. It's the fanciest church for miles, and, I, and I'm not kidding, okay? They were so proud of this thing. Uh, what's the next one? I can't remember. Yeah, so, so this was kind of the small group I got to spend most of my time with. These guys are all pastors. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, they're, they're pastors of churches there, there in Kenya. Um, what's the next picture? Yeah, okay, so there's some, some more kiddos. Uh, and again, an American church has built a, a school, so these guys actually have a building to go to school. And they used to just sit right there in that dirt, and they were so excited uh, to have a school. Okay, let's go back to, can you go back that, to that one more, that last picture? With me with the pastors, yeah. So, so the guy on the right, um, his name is, they all have Christian names, like they take names out of the Bible because they all have different, different names, but his name is Elphas. Um, Elfa, we just called him Elvis because it sounds more fun. But uh, Elphas, and, and he's, he's quite a bit younger than me, um, but as I got to know him, he's the pastor of five churches, and he preaches at all five of those churches on a Sunday. He doesn't have a car, so he's got to walk a long way to each of those five churches. Um, how do you think he was paid uh, as a pastor of five churches? How do you think he was compensated? He, he normally got to take home a chicken, right? People would bring him spare eggs, a, a sack of flour, right? That, that was his income for, for going and being the pastor of that church, right? That's normally what it looked like for him. No running water in his house, right? No chilies to go to after preaching. Uh, no TV to watch the big game on after, after you know, church. You know, I, I would talk to him and say, oh, you know, what, you have any prayer requests? What can I pray? You know, he, and he would say things like, you know, would you pray that I, that I don't get sick? Because I got sick a while back, and, you know, the closest clinic for me is 20 miles, and I had to walk there. So those are the kind of prayer requests that I'm praying for, feeling, you know, this big. Um, and, he, and he's like, well, how can I pray for you, brother? And I'm like, it's, <laughs> I'm a bad person. Just pray for that, right? <laughs> um, but, so, right, no, no car, to, but he would go to these churches every day, and he would say, you know, I spend my time uh, walking and praying. And so I, I pray, you know, uh, you know, up to three hours or more a day is what he does, you know, the time he spends praying, because he's walking and he's thinking about the people of his church, and, that, and that's what he did every day, Right? And, and, and we're in this class, it's, it's supposed to be giving him like seminary level training, which we, you know, it wasn't quite there, but we're giving him training, and this guy's pulling out his Bible, right? And it's taped in places, it's missing books of the Bible, right? It's something that he inherited from somebody, and he didn't even have a full thing, and he's a pastor of five churches. And I said, man, I, here, take mine. And, you know, one of my, I don't know how many, I don't keep track of the number, study Bibles, way too many. And I said, here, and he, I mean, you would have thought this guy had just won the lottery, right? He just gave him a study Bible that he would use. And, and you know, the, the question that, that comes to my mind as I'm reading the James, and I think, is this guy poor? Right? Is he poor? Right? And, and, and I could easily make the case to you that he's one of the richest people I've ever met. Right? He, he had joy and hope beyond what you and I are used to. Um, and, and, and if you think he and I read James chapter 1 in the same way, right, we, we're deluding ourselves. Um, this man has to exalt in his high position, right? 
in his, in, in his poverty. He, he, he thinks about the kingdom of God in a different way than you and I do because he, does, he doesn't have a kingdom in his hands all the time. You know, he, he told me one of the times, he says, look, uh, it's easier for us uh, to be devoted to God than to you. And I was kind of offended when he said it. I went, and he said, look, we, we don't have anything else. We don't have anything else to give our devotion to. What do you have to give your devotion to? And I could start listing it, right? He says, the only hope we have is in God helping us, or else it's not going to happen. Right? The only way anything's going to happen is if God answers that prayer. He says, you in America have a much harder time. That, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? So go back, right? Money is a trial to the rich, and it's a trial to the poor as well. Success and power are trials. How do you handle success? Do you give glory to God, or do you think it was up to you? Right? All of us struggle with this temptation of selfishness, of lavish living, right? We spend what we have on ourselves. We don't give. We don't give to our churches like we should. We don't give to people in need like we should. Right? And so if, if, if money, if riches are a test, how are we doing? Right? What grade would we get on that? Money can lead to pride, right? I, I think when I was younger, I, I had this assumption that, that others were always poor because they didn't work as hard as me. And, and, and having now been able to go to, to lots of different places, see lots of different people and, and be in lots of different countries, right? Do you think that pastor works harder than I do? That pastor in Kenya? Probably so, right? Most of the people that I know in Mexico and in Belize and other, everywhere, other, other, like, they're probably working harder than you and I in this room. We may be in the top one-third of 1% of riches in the world, but we're probably not in terms of hardest workers. Riches can lead to pride. Most scholars think that, that James is talking about Jeremiah 9 um, in, in this part where it says, uh, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. Riches are a test. They're a test for us to pursue God and care about his kingdom or for us to spend our lives, our time, our thoughts, like give our heart to, to pursuing a lifestyle, to pursuing money and comfort and, and, and ultimately, as James says, things that will not last. Right? And every day you and I have to fight it. It's a daily thing. We have to fight our human tendencies and we have to put our hope in God and not in ourselves and, and what we have. And every day you and I have to get, get up and decide, what is it that I want? Do I want wealth and comfort and pursue happiness the world's way? Or do I want God? Do I want to be about Jesus and his kingdom? If so, James says, God is happy. He's a, he is the giving God. He is happy to give that to you. He is happy to help you on this path to wisdom, that path to be more like Jesus. If we want this world, James says you can have it. You can have everything you want in this world. Just know that it's going to fade away and it won't last. And he would say, pursue Christ, because that will last forever. Let's pray.
thank you. Thank you that you are the giving, generous God. And because you love us, you want what's best for us. And that is not things that will fade away, but things that will last forever. God, prune us at times. Discipline us, teach us, grow us, that we would be more like Jesus. That we would have joy, not in that things are difficult, but in that they are producing something that you want to see in us. And that the the end result is what you would have us to be, more like Jesus. God, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name.